0: Welcome to the London School of Economics. Uh, My name is Ricky Burdett. I'm a professor of urban studies and director of a research center called LSE Cities. And it's my pleasure to welcome you all from around the world to our online event called the response of major cities to the challenges of the 21st century. It's hosted by two units at the LSE, the LSE European Institute and LSE cities. I'm absolutely delighted to be chairing this event today uh, and want to welcome our main speaker Ada Colau, the Mayor of Barcelona, who I will introduce more fully in a moment. But before I do, I just want to uh, give you a few housekeeping announcements. Um, The event will be in English, obviously I'm speaking English, and in Spanish. Ada will be speaking in Spanish, Uh, with live interpretation taking place right now. Make sure that you've selected the language you would like to listen to by clicking on the globe item at the bottom of your screen, the world globe item, and click the language you want to follow. So please do that now. For those of you who are Twitter users uh, in the audience, the hashtag for today's event is at... LSE COVID-19. It's part of a wider series of events. It's going to be recorded and hopefully will be made available as a podcast, as long as we don't have any technical difficulties. The event will last one hour. It's now just after 5 p.m. in London. I don't know where you are in other parts of the world, but if you're in Barcelona, it's an hour later. Uh, And we will end at 6 p.m. London time. The way the evening will be organized is that after my introduction of the mayor, she will speak for around 10 minutes or so. Uh, uh, Ada and I will then have a conversation through the interpreters on a number of the points that she would have raised. And then we come to uh, the final and very, very important section in the tradition of the London School of Economics, which is to get questions from you, the international audience audience which I will um, read out a select number of questions to Ada and she will then respond. There will be time for a a number of those questions, but obviously don't be upset if yours are not uh, posted uh, immediately because there will be more than we have time for. Um, So that is the format of the evening. um, And um, even when you send your questions in, keep them short. and please say what your name is and ideally what your affiliation is or what city you're communicating from. So um, Ada, it's really a great pleasure to welcome you to the LSE. Uh, As you know and I know, there's a long history of connection between our institution and your city, a long and deep connection of respect. In fact, in the case of those of us who are urbanists, it goes back to the uh, 20 plus years ago when Pascual Maragall, who was your predecessor uh, at the time, of course, of the 92 Olympics, uh, 1992 Olympics, uh, and the then head of the London School of Economics, a sociologist, Tony uh, Giddens, were connecting and, in fact, ended up creating a series of events uh, which led to the urban age. And, uh, um, series of discussions where Ado Colau, in fact, took part uh, only through a few years ago in Venice, and we were delighted she was there. Uh, Just one last thing to say is that the city of Barcelona is the only city in the world to win an architecture prize, the most prestigious architecture prize, obviously said, from London. In 1999, they won the Royal Gold Medal, uh, beating every single architect in the world because they had done so many wonderful things accumulated over time. Uh, These are fundamental aspects, the relationship between physical form and social transformation that Ada has uh, maintained and continued in her work. Now Ada is not only the first female mayor on Barcelona's history, she's undoubtedly one of the most progressive um, in Europe, if not uh, globally. She founded her own party, which then became Uh, the name of the party that she now leads in coalition, Barcelona en Comú, which of course speaks for itself. It's about community and participation. And just a year after forming the party, uh, won the municipal elections in 2015 and then was re-elected in 2019. Now, not only is she a key player in her city and her region and in Catalonia and in Spain, but she's also the representative for uh, a global organization called the United Cities and Local Governments and is the special envoy for relations between cities and the United Nations, something that I think, Ada, we will be collaborating on uh, in the next years. Now, before passing over to her, I just want to um, frame uh, the nature of her progressive uh, actions by just touching upon three or four areas where she's been incredibly active in both administrations. And interestingly, the language of even some of her policies speak for themselves. And I think that's very, very important. I mean, for example, she uh, not only has a party which talks about communal um, and collective action, but she set up uh, an institute for municipal housing. Uh, I hope that Sadiq Khan, our mayor in London, is listening to that. She's been very attentive to managing the tensions uh, between tourism, which is at the heart of the economy of course of Barcelona, but the needs of local people, so has addressed questions of um, Airbnb, et cetera. Uh, she's set up an anti-evictions unit, literally called that anti-evictions unit, it says what's in the tin, very clearly, to protect people who've been threatened by uh, private sector landlords who have um, a major control of some of the properties in the cities. And we'll hear about many of those um, policies and initiatives um, in her talk today. I think the other key phrase that comes to me from knowing what she's been doing over the years and we'll hear about today is the whole notion of neighbourhood plans, that you can't run a city without bringing people with you at the local scale. And I think you've been other to hundreds of meetings uh, in the different neighbourhoods to hear what people need and try to help them actually implement them. So with that as context, uh, I would like Ada to invite you to talk to our global audience. And once again, thank you for taking part in this event. Ada, over to you.
1: Thank you very much, Ricky. Thank you for this invitation. It's a real honor for me, and I'm very excited. You've already mentioned a lot of the points that I wanted to address, so I'll try not to speak for too long so there's time for a dialogue and conversation. You said in your introduction that I'm the first female mayor of Barcelona, and I'd like to remind you that this is quite an anomaly. In a democratic country, in a democratic city, it's very unusual for a woman not to lead over this 40-year period, especially given that Barcelona is a very progressive and innovative city. So it does strike us as quite strange, but not only am I the first female mayor, but I'm also I also have a very progressive and social approach that's the first time anyone with my profile has been in this role I'm also working class I had no relationship with the elite the political elite the economic elite which is something that has never been seen before so not only was I the first female mayor but I was also the first activist from a working class background that had absolutely no relationship with the political elites and The entire group that I stood for really was pushing for change, for political change. We didn't just want to substitute those who were in the administration before. We wanted to create transformation and innovation and really address the needs of the citizens who are asking for change and political transformation. And I think that's really key. And this is not only important for people and what they represent, We really wanted this change to become part of the political agenda with priorities, what is now known as a transformative agenda. When we came into office, we put a number of elements at the heart of our policy. These were topics that were being dealt with before, but they were on the fringes. Things like accommodation, housing, which you've mentioned yourself. This is something that was completely dominated by the private sector and property speculators, even though this is a fundamental human right. Uh, Things like health, education became a priority for us, investing in neighborhoods, in all neighborhoods in Barcelona, not just in the center, the need to regulate tourism and to diversify the city's economy. We wanted to fight against pollution. Feminism was a major topic for us as well. These were all topics that were at the forefront, but they weren't in our mainstream agenda. They weren't officially part of the institution's focus. And so this change obviously led to a lot of resistance. A lot of people were alarmed by our arrival. They thought that this would be the beginning of a very chaotic period and that, uh, It would all be very kind of uh, chaotic and apocalyptic, but that didn't happen, obviously. In fact, this agenda has been imposed in other institutions and there has been a massive change in agenda everywhere. And I think this has to do a lot with the question that you asked regarding this event. In the post-COVID area, what is the role of cities in the 21st century in order to build a post-COVID world? Because I think that the pandemic has confirmed that change in agenda, that change in approach It's confirmed that now it's really necessary to change our priorities and to highlight that before COVID, our world was in crisis. The crisis isn't necessarily related to COVID. The crisis that we're experiencing was an economic model, a predatory model that destroys our lives, that generates climate change, Um, economic model that's based on capitalism, that uh, promotes the patriarchy, that doesn't deal with the issue of care because women continue to take on the lion's share of care work and precarious labor. And this generates a lot of inequality, suffering and cruelty. So that was the major crisis that we were facing. And I think COVID is one of the effects of that because of that relationship between human beings and the planet. And so that confirms, or COVID confirms, that the crisis needs to be dealt with urgently. We need to change our priorities, change our our agenda, and change the way we govern. And... We're all now talking about global cooperation following COVID. And that's obviously a good thing in order to overcome the pandemic. We can only do this if countries, cities, continents cooperate. We all have to collaborate in order to overcome this crisis, but we also need to cooperate so we don't repeat the mistakes of the past, so that we don't repeat the mistakes of the past century. And so we can't just talk about recovery. We have to talk about transformation and innovation. And... So now I think we're starting a new era. If we're actually intelligent, and I think if humankind can consider itself intelligent, then we need to understand that this crisis is our last opportunity to learn from our mistakes, to start a new era based on cooperation, innovation and transformation. And so within this context, I'm really excited to talk about the policies that we have been promoting in Barcelona over the last few years because they form part of this framework against a backdrop of a world in crisis we want to contribute to that transformation and the new world of the 21st century and when we think about cities we often think about buildings about cement concrete infrastructure cars those tend to be the things that come to mind Pascual Maragall, who I think is the best mayor that we've had in the history of Barcelona. He's one of the best mayors in the world. And internationally, he had a real vocation and wanted Barcelona to. be so well known on the world stage, Well, Madagal really insisted on this idea, he believed that the city was the people, if there are no people, then there is no city. So the city is made up of a lot of different things, but if there are no people, then there isn't really a city. And so I think we need to go back to that idea, we need to humanize the city, we need to reclaim those kinds of policies and urban planning policies that are based on people we need to consider the priorities of the urban agenda and think about humankind as something very diverse because neoliberal a patriarchal society that has that we, the cities have designed have been designed by white men who have prioritized work cars obviously have a major role in this and so men obviously are part of the cities of the past and of the future but women should be present too we also have girls and boys and disabled people and older people and people from different countries and backgrounds and those people have been made invisible or marginalized in urban planning and so I think when we reinvent this post covid world we need to this is something we obviously have to do and we have this opportunity now to have a more humanist approach to put people at the very heart of our policies and we also need to have this feminist view of humankind as something very diverse and that will make the future much more interesting so i i think we can perhaps if This comes up in the questions, go into this in more detail. But I'd like to consider humankind, one aspect of humankind, which is children. And I am going to take you through Barcelona, through the eyes of a child, because this is one of the axes, one of the pillars that we've prioritized in our city strategy. Donucci said that if we create a city that's better for children who systematically have been made invisible or have been discriminated against in urban planning as if they weren't citizens or if they don't have rights, then we, If we are able to make a better city for children, then the city will be better for everyone in general. And so this is the perspective that I'd like to consider. Let's look at a city through the eyes of a child. It has to be a city where We can play a city where children can grow. It also has to be a city where people can dream. And so with this context, I would like to describe some of the policies that we are developing in the city. And this is a city in which children are able to play in the streets. It's a city that's safe. It's a city with life. And this might sound obvious, but... It's something that we should really think hard about because capitalist cities over the last century have been places that are unsafe for children. I remember when I was younger and I would play in the streets with other children who lived nearby, whereas now as a mother, I'm scared for my children to play out in the streets. So obviously this is a huge step backwards and In order to make progress, we need to reclaim the streets for children and make those spaces safer. We need to make spaces pedestrianized and create green spaces for people. From where I'm sitting, the City Hall of Barcelona has a main square and a secondary square next to City Hall. We have one that is institutional. The second square up until now was a car park. We've taken away all the cars now and we've created a space where children can play and it's filled with children and families who previously were invisible and it seemed almost as if they didn't live in the city centre because you could only find tourists there so we've taken away cars and life has sprung up it's taken over those public spaces this is just a very specific example that gives us an indication of how we can transform the entire city and so the idea of Superblocks came about Based on this, it's the idea that approaches the city from the perspective of green spaces, pedestrianisation, getting rid of cars to create space for life so that children can play, so that older people can walk around safely, so that local residents can meet up in the street, so that local businesses can also sell more because this is obviously uh, something that helps the economy when streets are pedestrianized. So it's a win-win situation when in an urban setting, we're able to reduce traffic. And within this general strategy, which is called Superilla Barcelona, and is also an extension of Sardar's strategy. He wanted to make the city larger, healthier, so that there were more democratized quality and larger green spaces for people. And those spaces that Sardar had already considered, spaces that would be larger for people to live in healthily, they filled up with cars, which is something that Sardar had not contemplated. So we want to bring back his focus. And in the 21st century, we want squares and streets that are greener and healthier for people and as part of this general strategy there's another strategy which is about protecting schools we believe that schools in a democratic city schools are the most important infrastructure that's undeniable because that's where our citizens are prepared are educated and it's where our children who we love so much, spend a lot of their time. And so we need to be able to ensure equal opportunities for them. So these are democratic, this is democratic infrastructure, democratic facilities for them. And in the 20th century, schools were mainly invisible. In a school, you're able to very easily identify where car parks are because they have a lot of signs and it's very clear where you can park your car, but it's not clear where a school is, for example. It's almost as if a school is a place where you drop off your kids and forget about them. But we wanted to transform this vision of schools. We want to protect schools. We want to make them safe so that children and families can... Go in and out very safely. We also want them to be places where there's life. We want to create squares in front of schools for communities where we can strengthen democratic life. We'll also be using schools as climate havens. There is a program that we've launched so that school playgrounds are full of greenery and they turn into a green haven when we have heat waves. For example, there are other there are other initiatives that we're launching in order to help our schools as well as I said this is something great for children for older people as well for local establishments and the idea is to strengthen the social fabric of the city the community this is something that we need in order to make the city more resilient because a resilient city obviously needs infrastructure like for example uh, rain collection, infrastructure. And we also need other kinds of infrastructure like software, not only hardware, but software and a way to strengthen social relations. During the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic, a lot of the neighborhoods that have reacted best are those that had a community life where neighbours knew each other and helped each other, where they worried about older people, they would take them food, for example. That is also a sign of a resilient society, not only a city that has good infrastructure. So that community dimension, the importance of schools and public spaces is the foundation. That is how we're going to create a city where we can play a city that is safe and a city where people want to be. We also want a city that can grow and where young people, children can grow and develop as people. We want them to be free and autonomous in our democratic city. And for that to be possible, we need to promote a sustainable economy, a green economy with sustainable mobility and environment sustainability and economy are not contradictory aspects, as has been said to us for many years. In fact, it's the complete opposite. The only way we can ensure prosperity is by developing a sustainable economy which doesn't fight against the planet but actually protects it. So environmentally friendly buildings is something that we've prioritized over the year sustainable mobility public transport all of this allows us to re-industrialize the city and create a useful economy for the 21st century in line with the objectives that we have an economy or, or that offers this kind of future also creates good quality jobs protects the environment as well but in order to grow we need knowledge knowledge and culture because in cities of the 21st century education is not enough just for equal opportunities culture is also crucial in order for real equal opportunities and so in our urban planning we're also prioritizing how we strengthen our ecosystem we all Barcelona is proud to have universities that are world-renowned and so in collaboration with these universities we're working on urban planning in order to strengthen and create new uh, research teams in biodiversity in other strategic sectors like technology for example and this is key for our city like at 22AT, which is a technological district, which was innovative at its time, and that we are updating now by combining technology with accessible housing, affordable housing and green infrastructure, because we don't want neighborhoods that just specialize in one single activity. We want all neighborhoods in the city to be places where people can live and work. This has to be a city in which life is at the very heart of everything. And I can go into more detail in this if you like. I'm just going to move on to the third aspect, which is that we want children to grow up in a city where they can dream, where they can dream about a better future, a braver future, a more innovative future, a future that's actually possible. And for this the city needs to be fairer and it has to guarantee basic rights. And we have to be able to renew that basic social pact that, has, that social democracy has weakened over the last few years. We need to strengthen basic public services and really focus on strong public leadership when it comes to uh, utilities and public infrastructure that allows people to have a decent life. I'm talking about education, health, housing, culture. But we need to do this not only with a social justice perspective, and Barcelona, with our government over the last few years, has become the city with the greatest amount of social investment over the last few years, we've really prioritized social investment, but the idea is not only to increase social investment, we need to do this along with innovation, we want a fair and democratic city, we don't want to create a welfare city. So. In terms of social housing, Barcelona is creating more rented social housing than ever. We are developing thousands of public social housing with that institute that you mentioned previously, but not only that. We've also created this anti-eviction unit, which uh, which we started from scratch because eviction is actually a state competence, but because eviction happens in our city, it's our main concern. And so we created something that didn't exist before, which is this mediation unit, which has stopped over 10,000 evictions, which is huge given that we don't have that competency, but we've been able to mediate and stop those evictions Or we've offered an alternative, we've created a uh, property discipline unit which involves bringing an end or trying to control property speculation and establishing the right to housing as a basic human right. And so banks and vulture funds that speculate that have empty properties that harass tenants have been subject to large fines. We've also expropriated buildings in order to turn them into social housing. And this is just, some, just one or two examples of our housing policy that has a social justice focus. We've also strengthened public leadership by creating a... A public utilities company, electricity company. In Spain, we have a liberalized uh, utilities market, but there is a monopoly which uh, generates a lot of profit by speculating with uh, basic public service. And so we've set up a company that offers 100% green renewable energy. And today in Barcelona, the electricity and the lighting in the cities runs off green energy that has been municipalized. We've been able to reduce energy bills for families and for public street lightings using 100% green energy. We've we've created this uh, utilities company. We also have a uh, dentist um, service that is municipal. Public health is obviously available to everyone, but often dentistry isn't covered and it's important for people to have dental care in order to be able to access work and education and this was something that wasn't covered by public health care but we've created a municipal dentist service which is now available to thousands of people who previously couldn't afford to go to the dentist so now they have their dental health guaranteed there are many other examples that I could mention here we've invested in neighborhoods with the highest inequality indicators. We've invested 300 million euros in education, in culture, in order to empower those neighborhoods and to strengthen their talent and their abilities and skills. And despite all of that, the economic indicators have not uh, dropped. In fact, they've increased. We're still at the top of many rankings. We're the eighth best city to live in we are the second most important city after london when it comes to attracting technology investment we're among the 25th most competitive cities in innovation there are many other indicators that i could cite which confirm that barcelona continues to still be very attractive but now When a private investment uh, is being considered, if this is an investment that will create value and is prepared to work with the city, we make it easy for them. But if it's an investment that is about speculating, property speculation, and trying to squeeze profits out of the city and with no positive outcomes for the city, then we will oppose that. And in Barcelona, we've said, often that we don't welcome property uh, speculation. We want to generate value and strengthen strategic sectors that will allow us to develop a city that focuses on children. And so now I would like to give you the floor again and perhaps we can start a debate. And I'd like Mm. to end with this image. For many years, the city has grown up with many dystopian images. We consider perhaps the future being full of robots and controlled by technology and with a great deal of inequality. And there have been many films, in fact, Uh, that depict a very cruel, dehumanized city. And this is something that perhaps uh, came to the fore in the 20th century. But in Barcelona, we want to be a human city. We want to be innovative and transformative, sustainable as well. We want this to be the image of the cities of the 21st century. So there's still a long way to go, but we are very excited about what the future brings. And we're convinced that this is our way forward. And so now I'd like to give you the floor so you can start the debate.
0: Well, Ada, um, and I hope you can hear me and please, those of you who are now hearing me in English, please press the, uh, uh, the, the, the button if you want to hear me in Spanish. Um, I mean, what is very clear is that, you know, there's a vision and a passion uh, which has driven you and your colleagues to where you are. And you talk about the importance of... Um, effectively transforming the model, right? Patriarchal, um, uh, market-driven, let's call it the prevalent model out there. And in many ways, cities, and you know this very well from your international work, are at the front line of change. But, and this is a question I don't want to be negative, but I think you have experience, and, and maybe you can share also with our audience, uh, where are the frustrations sometimes because your narrative of the city of the ch- for the child is is very powerful because you're thinking through not a, a year you're thinking through eighty years of life uh, from the, what the public space is like, etc and you mentioned the car and you and we all know the tension between let us say creating a place that you can play which is safe and a car driving through it now. You can control that to a degree as mayor, but you can't necessarily, if I'm right, correct me if I'm wrong, control commuting traffic from the region. You know, Can you share with us where have you been able to intervene as the mayor of a city, which is always smaller and has a more limited budget, of course, than in your case, Catalonia or the state? Where are the tensions And where would you like to see most change at the level of governance? It's true
2: that it's not just a Barcelona issue this is a problem that all cities have and as you know we take part in different networks, uh, all sorts of different networks, Metropolis uh, C40, UCLG and we share uh, many of these networks, in fact we're on many of these networks with, with London and we often uh, talk about the same problems, that we have these same issues, we concentrate most of the population across, across the, the planet, most uh, po- people live in cities, more and more people living in cities and the great challenge Challenges around technology, around the green transition of the economy, reducing emissions, uh, fighting inequalities. All of these uh, affect cities, and we are the main front line from that point of view, as you said. But we have governance, um, which on a world that wide level really is focused on central administrations and they have most of the powers for intervention they have most of the resources also in spain for example cities have a maximum 15 percent of public recor- resources but yet we have to deal with everything we have to deal with everything because citizens don't know whether the city council is responsible for one thing or the region is responsible for the other or the state is responsible for another basically individual citizens want solutions to their problems so i always say that uh, city council is like the mother in, in, in politics because everyone has this expectation that the mother will always be there, that their mum will be there. And uh, if you mess up on one day, you're in trouble because how could your mother possibly not be there for you on that day? And so you need to be responsible for everything, even if you don't have the necessary resources and even if you don't necessarily have the competences. But that's beautiful in a way. And that's actually something I find very uh, wonderful about municipalism because it is the politics of the everyday and it's the politics of creativity and innovation. Many of the things that we can't do due to the lack of competences or resources, we do through innovation and cooperation. And cooperation is key there between cities, uh, between the municipal institution and, and citizens. I'm thinking of housing, for example, in housing with housing, we have public housing, but we can also try to sort out the market using our different uh, urbanistic tools through urbanism. And we can also reach agreements with businesses that want to be part of the solution. So we've created a metropolitan company, for example, that's building these thousands of uh, flats. We provide public space and the companies will uh, offer rental properties which are under the uh, the market price. So there's collaboration there with the private market because we can't do everything on ourselves, we're not going to achieve everything just through our own actions, through municipal actions. These are huge challenges that we're facing, and I think it's very inspiring. Precisely, uh, Machu talks about the uh, about this particular topic, and I think it's it's crucial that kind of approach we have huge uh, objectives, huge goals and one administration, one city, one country can't resolve these alone so we must certainly work together with for these great goals that we have. So mobility, yes it's crucial and we do act bravely within our city we're trying to reduce traffic, we're trying to transform we're trying to support cycling we're trying to, transport to, to promote public transport but most cars that drive around Barcelona come from outside Barcelona so we need infrastructure we need uh, trains, public transport uh, infrastructure that is much better. And that is basically the competency of the Generalitat, the, the regional government, or the state. And so we need to reach agreements. We need to reach. Uh, Pax. But what we can't do is not act and wait for others to act for us. And that's something we've always said in Barcelona. We're going to move forward with traffic reduction. And we hope that that puts pressure on these other administrations that have larger budgets, who have greater capacity to intervene. And so we want to put pressure on them to act. But what we can't do is just simply sit back and wait for others that have the competences to act. So we have to act ourselves and we need to do everything we can, everything that's possible within our city to improve things. At the same team time as we have dialogue, we reach agreements and we put pressure on, we lobby for other administrations to do their part also.
0: Ada, let's start um, by um, my asking you some of the questions which are coming from uh, the audience. Um, and um, Rasha Murtada, who's a student at uh, University College London, is uh, obviously reacted to your very um, uh, interesting comments about kids and about children and in the city, and she wants to know, how do you encourage uh, their safe and effective participation? How do you listen effectively? Um, And maybe you could say a little bit more about your neighborhood plans and how they work. Just give us one or two uh, examples. And I'm going to ask you to be short in your answers so I can ask you lots of questions.
2: (laughs) I'll try to be brief. (laughs) Well, to listen to children, well, how do we do that? In in different ways. We have uh, public hearings, you might say, within the City Council, and schools might prepare a particular topic. So they might prepare sustainability as a... As as a subject area and they bring proposals to uh, the city council and then we respond to those proposals provided by children when i go to the different neighborhoods i always visit a school for me that is a key facility and so i always make sure that a school is included in those uh, visits when uh, we had the pandemic in the most difficult months march uh, april when we had full lockdown when we all needed to be shut in our houses that was awful because the adult-centric uh, management of the pandemic left children enclosed in their homes, and they weren't even allowed to go out for five minutes a day uh, for months, and that was terrible, awful for for children. And they were the great forgotten group of this whole management of the pandemic. We could go out and and, and take the the rubbish, go shopping, and buy some food, or we could walk our pets, but children simply didn't exist. It would seem, and they were stuck in inside. And as a city council, we demanded that our children be freed and we Gave children the possibility to send videos to me, and so I, as mayor, would then respond weekly. So we, want, because we wanted the ham to have direct communication with the mayor, uh, because we really felt that they had been made invisible and they needed to be listened to. And so there's examples of some practices that we try to incorporate in our in our policies when it comes to uh, designing a change, for example, of a square. We think of a playground, and if, when we do that, we ask children from the neighbourhood or from a local school what they think we should do and how we should go about this transformation. So we really try to incorporate them and we consider them to be fully fledged uh, subjects, fully fledged citizens. Currently we have a participatory process to invest €30 million in neighbourhoods and though in the elections only those over 18 can vote in this participatory process we have people from 14 taking part so that they can make make decisions on priority investments in the different neighbourhoods. So that's a few examples. In terms of the neighbourhood plan These are interventions that are designed alongside local residents. And so there might be a prioritization of schools, for example, in certain very vulnerable neighborhoods. Then we support artistic, cultural teaching and education, for example, music teaching in those schools. We try to really offer emotional and social support. We want to make sure that teachers can act as teachers and that there is additional support for other areas so that teachers don't have to take everything on their own own shoulders Um, we try to improve uh, the environment so squares and places where people meet in neighborhoods so those are a few more of the different measures but the key is that we always prioritize local residents through a participatory uh, process.
0: Okay Uh, Ada there are about 40 questions coming through but I won't ask you all 40 of them. Um, One question is, is nearly predictable but very interesting to all of us this is from Barbara Jameson from an organization called European Cities Marketing, and it's about tourism and, and uh, on the fact that many cities are focusing on attracting good tourists, good tourists. Uh, and given that tourism creates jobs and wealth, etc. Uh, what's your definition of a good tourist?
2: Well, sustainable tourism, is the kind of tourism that we want, that it can happen alongside the everyday life of people across all neighbourhoods. When we came into power in the city council, there was a complete lack of control and imbalances. Thousands of tourist apartments were illegal, actually, which we've closed down. We've really imposed some order there because there was complete disorder. So there were these illegal flats which were creating economic problems. They don't pay taxes. They create unfair competition, but also that they were leading to speculation around housing And that meant that we were losing homes for people to live in. And we were having more uh, speculation around uh, tourist properties. So we, we stopped that. And we wanted to ensure that everything was ordered and there wouldn't be speculation in the different neighborhoods. So for us, that was a key objective. And we didn't want everything to be too focused in the center of our city. We wanted to distribute, spread it across the whole of the city and the region, actually, not just the city itself. So it's really a case of working with private uh, stakeholders uh, as well and we actually asked tourists we're an open city we like to be visited and not only for the economic uh, advantages but also because this is part of our identity we like to be visited but that should not endanger life in the city and the tourists themselves when we asked them through a survey they said they liked barcelona a lot but what they didn't like was to see so many tourists in barcelona right. and so that they weren't experiencing the city in the same way and I think that is a key indicator, and I think uh, tourists and local residents agree we want balance.
0: And just just to follow up myself on this question: Does the effect of the pandemic and the closure of uh, any any form of tourism and, and visitors has it is it making your life more difficult now to implement some of the you know very strong ideas you had because? The classic economic argument will be, uh, you know, we need to have as many people come in um, and um, contribute to via taxes and shopping to the health of the local economy. I'm just curious whether you feel it's become more difficult or not.
2: Of course, there are economic sectors in the city who have been very damaged by this, especially in the centre of the city. It really has been very negatively affected by the lack of tourism and there the policies, the public policies that we've had have been crucial to ensure that jobs were kept and I think there has been a, a social response from the beginning of the pandemic from that point of view and that's when compared to 2008 so jobs have been protected and that is absolutely crucial but now what we need to do, like you say, is work on recovery so we need to work to uh, get visitors back to our city but we have an opportunity now which is to guide that tourism a a bit more towards much more sustainable activities so for example linked to the cultural offering in our city we have a wonderful um, cultural ecosystem in the city and we want to reinforce that and we want the tourism that we recover to be linked to that the cultural activities and throughout the year not only linked to the real summer tourism that we had Traditionally, and that weakened us actually, it made us vulnerable, that did, because when you depend so much on one single economic activity, which depends on people coming from abroad to visit you or coming from outside to visit you and it 's very much focused on top of that in a several months, that makes your economic system very vulnerable, and so we need to make the most of this crisis to diversify much more the economy and that 's something that we 're doing, and also to diversify that tourism to make sure it 's more sustainable and more balanced across the year and not so focused and concentrated in the summer months.
0: Uh, There's a question from an architect in London called Tom Holbrook, which is very close to the question I would have wanted to ask you, which is, um, in a way, connecting the fact that your city has had an extraordinary um, um, tradition in the last 30 years of um, using spatial policies to implement social and environmental change, right? So in, in that sense... It's not that you're against planning, you you see it it, both in three dimensions, but also as a social uh, experiment and as an uh, environmental experiment. Uh, What Tom Holbrook is asking is how can other cities benefit and learn from Barcelona's extensive urban experiments? How can they learn more?
2: In reality, i think that we do this every day because barcelona learns constantly from london from paris from milan and from many other cities and this is reciprocal i think uh cities like i said are used to having to deal with pretty much everything with very few resources and that makes us very creative and it makes us very cooperative and so we are used to, I think, having this uh, diplomatic relationship between cities, there are these relations of, of cooperation that mean that we're constantly learning from each other. And the, it means that we visit the different cities and we have had many different cities be interested in our different policies, the superblocks policy, the traffic reduction, the transformation of urban space, um, t- management of tourism, how we've gone about trying to create some order there, how we've worked uh, with the regulations around hotels or uh, these, uh, Airbnb for example, uh, this, these are global uh, phenomena uh, digital platforms that don't, it seems don't have to follow local norms but then actually have a huge impact on our cities. In the case of Airbnb there's a huge impact on housing creating it's great speculation so we forced them to actually impose some order in what they do and to remove all sorts of uh, illegal flats from their website. And so there's constant exchange of information with Amsterdam, Paris, London, with all sorts of different cities. We're constantly in touch with each other.
0: Right. No, that's very helpful. I I want personally just to pick up one of the comments you made right at the beginning of your uh, contribution about, um, in a way, the potentially positive uh, shift in values that COVID has created. Because I, I think... You were nearly optimistic there in the sense that, you know, it's forced us into a corner that we have to look at our world again uh, in, in a positive way. And you use the word, you know, we need to humanize cities. And of course, uh, we all know that uh, cities can brutalize people uh, rather than uh, humanize them. Um, so if you were to just pick up one or two things that you you, you think you can build on in your administration, but also in your... Diplomatic work of, of speaking for cities, as you've just answered a, a moment ago. What would you see as those positives that you can take away um, in, in, in that, that we've learned because of COVID? I mean, for, for example, I mean, the value system to a degree has changed. I personally would maybe say to you, planning, the concept of planning is after many years that it was beaten down by central government or uh, other systems, is back in favor. Uh, Because if you plan well, you can save people's lives. I, I wonder what you thought about that.
1: I think it's
2: true that especially in the first months of the pandemic, there was a great global awareness of the fact that our world was facing a crisis and that significant change was required in our social economic organization, in our values. And We've had all sorts of experiences in Barcelona. We've seen local residents get organized to help each other, for example, or at the hardest times when Spain, which is considered a developed country from the first world, when it discovered that it was extremely vulnerable, this was a key moment because it was not able to offer uh, or supply the most basic element of protection, which was uh, masks. and that We didn't even have masks for our health professionals and so that showed us exactly how vulnerable we were uh, with a very radical um, experience and so throughout that, it, through that situation, we were able to cooperate with women who were sewing in their homes, young people who uh, had 3D printers and were able to produce uh, different elements of of, of individual protection in that way, people who were helping us transport things to different hospitals. We created this horizontal network of cooperation in a record uh, period of time. And so we showed ourselves through this concrete experience that we were able to work very differently to achieve our common aims. It's true that after that on the uh, official agenda that level of awareness I think is disappearing little by little and we start to hear the old messages that we always used to hear from the same old voices from large companies for example or from states and they're already talking about economic recovery in old, in those old terms as if we hadn't understood or we hadn't uh, learned anything but the population has had this experience now and I think people in our cities, well people are more demanding, they're demanding bravery and they're demanding speed in the fight against pollution and and in in transforming the urban space or in the social policies that we have and that prioritise life and care. And so I think, though, yes, there is some resistance, though it's difficult, though it's tough, Mm. we have that opportunity now to make progress, um, civilising progress. And I think it's our responsibility to make the most of this opportunity.
0: No, I, I, you know, the link which goes through many of the things you've said uh, is, the, is, is a belief in a, so, a new social pact, uh, which in the end, it was, it was an idea, it was a vision, you got elected and then you got re-elected. Now, I, there's a question from Dan Hill in London, and if it's the Dan Hill I know, he's also in Sweden, uh, which is going back to maybe um, the complexities around how government right government different levels um, and he's referring to the fact in london we have an interesting situation right now you probably know this where um the, the central government is putting enormous pressure on the mayor to reduce costs with public transport and and um, but the city itself has very little ability to raise taxes has very little fiscal power so the question is How do you work with the region and national government to, in a way, uh, resolve some of these possible um, uh, conflicts?
1: Well,
2: over the last few years, it's been very difficult. They've been difficult years because here we've had a level of political conflict that's been considerable. There's been a lot of instability. And so for quite some time now in the city, we have felt very much alone, really, when it's come to trying to really promote some of these policies. There's been this sense of of being alone because of that political instability on a national level. However, despite that, and like I said previously, we have managed to promote uh, many of these innovative policies, things that weren't being done before and now I feel optimistic despite the great complexity and the great difficulty of the current moment I do feel optimistic because I think that the government, the Catalan government in this case the Spanish government, are clear now that now we must cooperate and there must be dialogue, that we need to put aside polarisation and tensions that we've had over the recent years and so I think now we are going to be able to work together much more effectively there's going to be more cooperation on these policies because they're shared policies in many cases and they're all to do with thinking also of the far right and the progress being made by the far right in Europe, across the world if politics is perceived as being a source of more problems and not of solutions, then citizens obviously react against politics and uh, democracy is weakened. So beyond parties, beyond institutions, more than ever now, this is the time for cooperation. This is time to show that politics are, is useful in resolving people's problems and putting aside um, parties, etc., putting aside institutions. I think we all need to really be committed across Europe now to providing stability, to cooperating and to resolving problems because if we don't, the far right will grow and and it is growing specifically on the basis of this discourse, this anti-politics discourse, which really weakens our institutions, democratic institutions. And there is a huge danger there that we might have a regression in I'm, our I'm, democracies. And I'm we can't a, allow that to happen.
0: I'm encouraged to see here a city leader be actually positive about collaboration with different levels of governance. Because, as you know, most, most times mayors complain that they don't have enough money or enough power. Now, we're coming up to the um, really final minutes of our event. And I I wanted to close by asking uh, a question which, in a way, links, goes back to my introduction, the strong links between LSE and and, and London and Barcelona. As you know, Sadiq Khan was uh, re-elected only a few weeks ago. I think you were one of the first um, mayors to congratulate him on his uh, re-election. And um, there, there are obviously many conversations not only this one, uh, some shared agendas, uh, different power structures, different maybe political agendas um, uh, from the ones in London and the ones facing London as a priority, housing, of course, being way up there uh, in terms of uh, his agenda. My sort of final question to you is, uh, what do you think Sadiq should steal from you in terms of uh, you know barcelona's policy you know london uh and you've discussed these issues but i mean it in in a in a constructive way what what do you think you know is maybe maybe one of the more exportable ideas of your administration and uh, your delivery and 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 then the other way around what would you like to steal from london uh, is there anything that has been done here you know there've been major developments on on uh, trying to control uh, emissions Uh, in terms of cars and controlling traffic um, and other attempts at sort of uh, building more housing um, and, and, and other things. So could I ask you to maybe comment on those last two things in the last minute of our conversation? So very short, unfortunately.
2: Well, for London... It's not a case of, of of stealing or or giving each other lessons or anything. We are sister cities and we cooperate on a regular basis already. So we have a very strong relationship with Sadiq Khan and I think he's an excellent mayor. And as that as well as that, that relationship, our teams work together very often on housing, mobility, for example. We are very interested, for example, in terms of mobility, we have a low emissions uh, zone to try and reduce the entry of uh, vehicles that are most uh, polluting, but it's not enough at the moment. So we're very interested to see the whole uh, urban uh, tax uh, concept in in London. That's something we certainly would like to look at. That's one thing. What
0: what do you think uh, Sadiq Khan should implement in London, which is the Ada Colau model?
2: Like I said, it's it's really depends on everyday life in London and I don't know exactly what that's like. I think in terms of social policies we have innovated a lot and like I said we don't only have the strong assistance policy but we also have a policy to try and achieve uh, public leadership when it comes to uh, crucial rights and crucial assets for people's decent lives so we have the energy provider so there is an alternative to the oligopoly that we had with the large uh, electricity companies we have this municipal dentistry offer so p- for people who can't afford to go to the dentist and we also have a program to support uh, women especially um, single uh, mothers who need time uh, to be able to do their work, et cetera, and to have it like so I, I we the mayor have London, a program from that point of view too.
0: I think the mayor of London would love to be able to also have an impact or control of health, but unfortunately it's not in his portfolio. Ada, we've come to the end of our hour with you on behalf of the LSE, the European Institute, LSE Cities, and all the audience from around the world that has attended, from India, from Canada, uh, and from uh, Europe, Thank you very, very much for sharing your ideas and vision for Barcelona on how to deal with the major challenges of the post-COVID city. Thank you so much, Ada. Thank you very much.